0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Wrongtown Lonely Hearts Radio. We're the only radio in Wrongtown marketed directly to the lonely. So
1: let's get those lonely hearts out there all beaten together as one as we listen to another smooth track.
0: This one goes out to all the lonely hearts out there. You're seriously wrong. wrong podcast theme number 15 by e june classic i
1: think people out there are feeling a little bit less alone let's test that out let's go to the calls and see we'll go to line number one that's uh, dax Dex, you're on the air.
0: Hi, uh, Lonely Hearts Radio. Uh, I love what you guys do on the air. I was in a like a long-term relationship. We broke up. I don't know. I don't know what to do with myself. I don't want to get back together with them, but their absence feels like this yawning gap. That's like a mixture between hunger and addiction and fear and. I'm just wondering if there's something wrong with me.
1: Well, look there, Dax. You know, I think sometimes after a relationship, we all got to take a little bit of time for ourselves. You know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. And just my intuition, I think that you're going to find someone else. You're going to fall in love, and it's going to be the one coming up. Oh, you think so? I know so. Oh, really? Do you want to get rid of your loneliness today on the air? Yeah. Do you want me to play the magical chimes that cure all loneliness, but only for the person calling?
0: (laughs) Yes, please.
1: Yes. All right, producer, cue up the chimes. Say loneliness no more, Dax.
0: Loneliness no more. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. I'm gonna... Thank you. Oh. Is that
1: yawning, empty feeling gone?
0: Yeah. I'm so much better off than I was.
1: Well, you have a great rest of your day.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go build some new skill sets.
1: Cured, I say.
0: Call that one cured. Cured by the chimes. Always it works. Always works, yeah. Marie from Uptown Wrongtown, let that lonely heart bleed for us all.
1: Uh, well, I don't know if mine even really counts. I have lots of people in my life. I have a partner and a job. I feel like I shouldn't feel this way, but I just can't get out of this. That seems like it follows me everywhere. Sounds
0: like you've got a classic case of feeling lonely even though you're surrounded by people.
1: That's classic?
0: There's a lot of lonely hearts out there that are surrounded by people.
1: Okay thought I was just really weird. Or you want me to
0: run the chimes on you?
1: Uh, the chimes aren't going to hurt, are they?
0: No, they're, they're more of like a sparkling kind of sound.
1: Right, okay. Yeah, That. Uh, yeah. It's magic. Yeah, Let's do. we'll do the chimes. Yeah.
0: Now what I need you to do, Marie, here is say those magic words. Loneliness, be gone.
1: All right, uh, so uh, I guess l- l- loneliness, b- b- be gone. Oh, wow. I really hit the spot. Those, those chimes are something. They sure are something. Hoo, hooey. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Too bad it's
0: just for the people who call in. Am I right? Oh,
1: you know that reminds me. My friend gave me this tape, and they said it cures loneliness to everyone who hears it, whether they're on the line or not. I, know, I haven't whether listened to it on yet. On the
0: yet, line or not? I don't I don't know record if it works. scratch. <laughs> this is a morning show. Oh,
1: it is, I must say, 90 minutes long. Do you have time in your radio show for one call to play a 90-minute tape over the phone? Just
0: looking to uh, the producer here. Yeah, he says we're clear.
1: Great. I'll just wheel up the tape player we're here. we up our
0: broadcast microphone to the speaker
1: <laughs> here. i in, and
0: I'm going to hit play. This one goes out to all the lonely hearts out there. Bread Talks.
1: Ideas worth seizing.
0: Public health officials are saying that we are in a loneliness crisis. But what if I told you that loneliness is not something that an individual does? Loneliness is not something caused by individuals, but is actually the material effect of social systems which necessarily generate loneliness. When I was 11 years old, I always walked down the Red brick road to the cherry tree. Every single day, I'd walk back and forth. I'd say hello to my neighbors. I'd say hello to the milkman, the mailman. Hello, hello. Where's this kid going to the cherry tree, they'd say. Well, I was actually meeting my best friend, Thomas. Now, me and Thomas there would go to the cherry tree and we'd collect cherry seeds, handfuls and handfuls in pockets. Who can get the most cherry seeds? Fill up the bags. I'm stashing them at home. How many do you got? Oh, I got 8,000 yesterday total. Well, I'm up to 1,600. No way you're up to 1,600. Meet him every day there. And what if I told you that me and him weren't just going there to the cherry tree because we loved seeds, but we were going there because we were building a social relationship a connection, a ritual. But then something haunting and chilling happened. My parents said, we just spent $300 getting cherry juice stains out of all the upholsteries. I can't think of any way that this makes sense you'd bring this many seeds back here. There's no money in it, boy. We need you to go the opposite direction to get some more profitable nuts and seeds until you pay off this upholstery debt. I was heartbroken. I didn't even get to say goodbye to Thomas. I had to start getting these nuts right away to start paying off his debt. I didn't get to say the milkman or the mailman or any of my friends had to go a more profitable path. And so, you know, I'd say hello to the local landlord, say hello, how's how's it going, how's the land? The local slave trader, hey, hope business is going good. Oh, you're doing, you're an all right kid. You know, say hello to the oil lobbyists and the guy who's trying to legalize child labor. Hey, hi. What if I told you that pursuing this profitable lifestyle didn't make me a happy boy, didn't nourish my social relationships, but actually severed my social relationships and made me an unhappy boy? I felt extremely alone going down this path, and I soon found out I was not alone in my loneliness. On September 15th, 2013, I received the letter in the mail that let me know that my friend Thomas had died of loneliness. Apparently he kept on going back to that cherry tree till one day he was found there. And that's my last slide. Uh, So what made me lonely wasn't that I didn't know how to talk to people. It wasn't that I didn't know how to make connections and rituals in the world that would enrich me, like the old cherry tree. What alienated me was the commodification of every aspect of human life. Thank you. What does it mean to be lonely? What does it mean to be lonely? I'm 10, 11 years old, I'm coming up to you. You're the wise figure to me. You know, Aaron, be my Mr. Rogers for a second. Am I gonna be lonely at some point in my life? Can I prevent loneliness? Can I avoid ever being lonely? Do you predict loneliness for me in, in the wisdom of your kind? Okay, heart? Okay,
1: kid, slow down. Jesus, you're asking so many questions at once. <laughs> I'm trying to just answer the first one. I'm a precocious one. kid. I need to know <laughs>
0: what I'm in for. Whew. Yeah,
1: being lonely is totally normal. It's just that feeling that you get when you feel isolated from other people. You know? People need human connections, and if you don't have enough human connection, that creates a feeling called loneliness.
0: If I feel that feeling, should I like be mad at myself?
1: No, no reason to be mad at yourself. Perfectly normal feeling, but also perfectly normal to maybe get mad at yourself. So don't, like, if you do get mad at yourself, you don't have to get mad at yourself for getting mad at yourself. Like, it's okay. You know, it can just, it can start to be a weird spiral there.
0: So people who are lonely, are they lonely because they're isolated? They're alone? There's no one around them? Sometimes,
1: yeah. Physically not having people near you or living with you or not spending time with other people can definitely... That's a huge part of loneliness for a lot of people, but some people can feel lonely even when they are around others because they just don't feel a connection to those people for, you know, all kinds of different reasons. So if you're wondering whether you will be lonely at any time in your life, probably maybe someone has never experienced lonely. I don't know, but probably like it, it's one of the human emotions. You usually feel all of them as you live a life. So definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah
0: yeah that's interesting to think of areas of the emotion spectrum that someone just never ever hits in any way
1: yeah it is yeah
0: and loneliness is like really common right self-reported like loneliness studies i've got here a 2018 survey from the economist and the kaiser family foundation found that almost a quarter of adults in the uk and the u.s say that they often or always feel lonely a lack of companionship or feel left out or isolated so like one in four adults, according to that survey, but then I've got this other survey, the Cigna survey that says 54% of adults in the U.S. say that they always or sometimes feel that no one knows them well. It depends,
1: yeah, how you ask the question. Uh, I have one also, one in five millennials feel like they have, quote, no friends. And two in five Americans say they no longer feel close to anyone, either some or most of the time. So it's definitely big. <laughs> It's a bit, loneliness is big right now. It's having a moment <laughs> in society. A, a, a lonely
0: momento. <laughs> well, let's keep this moment lonely in history by combating loneliness and ending loneliness. So this lonely moment in history stands alone instead of a moment that has many other similar moments, moments like by, it. Right? Exactly. By combating loneliness and by defeating loneliness, we can make this lonely moment in history truly transcendently lonely
1: in a good way. You know, I really, really agree with the spirit of what you're saying, but I have a slight nitpick with it because I don't think we need to be combating loneliness because I think loneliness is actually
0: good. It's good for people to be lonely. Yeah.
1: And I see your skeptical face. I see you.
0: (laughs) I'm doing like DreamWorks (laughs) eyebrows right now, like,
1: like arms crossed, like all your body language. I'm
0: extremely skeptical right now. So let's land this plane, bring it home. How are you going to make me uncross these arms? (laughs) I'm ready to listen with a fair mind.
1: Okay, so loneliness is what you feel when you lack human connection. So it's an indicator that there's a need that's not being met. And the fact that we have a need for human connection is actually, like, one of the best things about humanity. Like, throughout all of human history, we've been, like, enmeshed in social groups with other people. Like, that's how humans work. It's how we've always worked. We don't work self-sufficient, alone. Humans have never been like that. And so that's like part of what humans are, species that must exist in social groups. And loneliness is part of that. Like if we didn't have loneliness and if it felt just as good to be by yourself as it felt to be around other people, then we're not a social species anymore. Like that's the same thing. Those two things are part of the same thing. So if we like the fact that we're a social species, if we think that's good, then loneliness, even though it's painful, and it's definitely hurts. I'm not saying it feels good to be lonely or we should strive to make people more lonely. What I'm saying is it's good that it's an indicator of something bad going on in the same way that like a fire alarm is good, but the fire isn't good. So, loneliness is good, but what's bad is the lack of human connection, the endemic lack of human connection across society that makes it so that one in four people, or one in five millennials, or 54% feel this way. That, like, there's so much missing human connection in society right now. And that's the thing we need to combat, not the loneliness.
0: When I was looking around, I saw a bunch of different stats for different places like US, Canada, and the UK of these different numbers of people who are lonely in different ways. And there's some variety within the stats. My tendency is to trust the bigger end of like the spread of the stats or like to assume that the larger numbers are more accurate because there's such a stigma around like talking openly about this sort of stuff. Or like I was reading some like blogs and like someone had asked on Quora what's it like to have depression and stuff and different sources like that. And I was seeing people talking about admitting to themselves that they were lonely and like that the sort of like process of actually addressing it. So when in framing the questions in these like different ways and you find in some saying, you know, they they always or sometimes feel that no one knows them well is like probably a better indicator of like whether or not they're experiencing Some degree of like chronic loneliness where they feel comfortable going that far with that type of question than something that says like, you know, like the more conservative end of say like one in 10 people feel like they have no close friends.
1: Yeah, it's like admitting to yourself because it can be a shameful thing and it's just like not talked about a lot especially among men who like just don't talk about their feelings as much or a lot and often like don't know what they're feeling because they know they feel like shit or they know they feel bad or they know they feel anxious or depressed. But those are all like broad statements of like, I feel like shit, you know, like people will be able to say that much more easily than they'll be able to say, like, the specific way I feel like shit right now is loneliness. Because, like, if you don't spend time figuring out what your feelings are and, like, you just don't know, yeah. you're unable th- to identify how you feel.
0: Yeah, especially I think, like, you're in a lot of environments where the expression of emotion is, like, stigmatized or...
1: Yeah, it's not modeled for you, so you don't learn it. And you learn that it's, like, yeah, a weird, shameful thing to do to express this kind of stuff. So then you don't even want to like see it inside yourself. So you don't. I think also too, sometimes people might know intellectually that they're lonely when they think, am I lonely? That rings true for them, but you can still have this issue of not actually knowing what you're feeling in the moment. If you don't know in the moment when the particular thing that's bothering you is loneliness versus it is anger or it is vulnerability or it is resentment or any other potential negative emotion. So like knowing that you're lonely in the abstract is a bit different from knowing that loneliness is what's alive inside you right now in the moment.
0: Yeah, I guess there's probably a lot of people who see like the modeling of having emotions coming through cringe compilations more than like adult role models
1: yeah like our society like at
0: all the levels
1: encourages loneliness and then also discourages people from talking about it or expressing it or seeking help for it and like it comes a lot of the time from like this capitalist hero individualist self-made entrepreneur like these values that we venerate in society are often like counterproductive to the goal of not triggering loneliness unnecessarily constantly. So like the idea that people can be self-sufficient is just like absurd, but like in this society, you can kind of like pretend you're self-sufficient by having a lot of money. And so it feels like you are doing all this yourself. And then like everyone thinks they should be that way. Like it's, it creates this impossible double bind where everyone's supposed to be these competing self-interested individualistic automatons and they feel like shit because they're not good at that, because that's not what humans like want to do and want to be like. So they feel lonely. And at the same time, they're mad at themselves for not being able like, cause you shouldn't be lonely. You should just be like, chill with it and like starting your business. You know,
0: this makes me think of like under the reasons that people don't talk about and don't address loneliness is because there isn't system set up for people to ask for help effectively. And like there's Mm -hmm. a cultural aspect, but there's also like a financial and material aspect. And the two are sort of intertwined and that we have this based on the material scarcity outside of the sort of like institutions that you're describing. The cultural common sense is like that you need to be the sort of idea of a productive not even a productive person, not in a person that legitimately contributes necessarily, but a person who finds a way to get into a monetary flow. Like Yeah,
1: yeah, right, right.
0: You don't have the cultural means to deal with the loneliness and then the material means to deal with that loneliness also don't exist because you don't have like free access to therapy or support workers or, like, yeah. a life coach or whatever. These are all, like, yeah. things that are commodified and turned into – it takes a portion of your income in order to see a therapist, even though I think therapy is something that every human being deserves if they need it. It's basic medical care. Even here
1: in Canada, we, like, everyone's like, Canada has universal health care. We don't have, like, any universal mental health care. Like, you can go to your general practitioner, and they can check off the list and see whether you – are depressed like whether you meet the criteria and they can prescribe you the medication for depressed people and it makes a lot of people feel better when they do that but yeah talking to people counseling actually like helping you work through the problems in your life and like setting you on the path to doing something meaningful which like therapy at its absolute best would be able to do that for people That would also probably require more opportunities in society and things like that. But like, yeah, there's just not a lot of help available for people.
0: Okay, there's this ancient riddle, and I think we solved half of it. All the lonely people, where do they come from? Capitalism, neoliberal capitalism. But the second half, all the lonely people, where do they all... Belong? belong? I think it's belong. Belong. That's a good question.
1: Yeah. Library socialist utopia. That's where I think they belong. But
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And for those of you who don't know, library socialism is when every municipality is like an enormous library slash community center. And there's enough food and shelter for everyone, plenty of activities, meaningful work if you want it, but you can also have leisure time. And there's something called a dog library where you can take dogs for a walk and take them as pets temporarily if you want, but it's also illegal for your landlord to not let you have a dog. That's called library socialism. We did some other episodes about it, but just, that is where all the lonely people do all belong. And now for a confirmation bias news special report. Are you alone? Here are the signs that you might be alone. All books, you are the author. All films, you are the star. All music, you are the musician. You created yourself. You're on every billboard, and when you yell out to the universe, suddenly your own voice returns as an echo. echo. You travel across time and space for millions of years and hundreds of thousands of miles and see volcanoes and trees and rock forms and inanimate landscapes beyond your wildest dreams, but never, ever meet anything like you alone. Alone. Forever. This has been a confirmation bias news special report brought to you by Xenon Group Loneliness Salve. Apply directly and apply frequently. Loneliness Salve. Performs at about the rate of a placebo, brackets, which is actually pretty good. So I was reading this Age UK report on how well seniors' needs are being met by government in the UK. And... According to Age UK in 2014, two-fifths of seniors, which is almost four million people in the United Kingdom, say that television is their main form of company, Mm. that the main social interaction they get in their life is watching television. And it really, like, captured me how television was filling this social need in an imperfect way and how when thinking about someone who watches a lot of television in the light of loneliness, it changed some of my instincts around... How I feel about television and like how, Mm, like watching cable and stuff, which is something I only do at my parents' house when I go to visit, like with commercials and stuff. Same. It's every time I'm
1: there, I'm just like, this is weird commercials.
0: Yeah. And the way that they're like louder and they advertise these weird things. And it's like the demographics that are watching these channels change to more specific mostly older audiences like the targeting of the ads is like not for me at all right (laughs) (laughs) but yeah yeah, so i I sort of look down on television in that sense as being this sort of like i don't know like the idiot box yeah the old idiot box um (laughs) on some emotional level i have that association yeah absolutely and to think of 3.9 3.9 million seniors in the United Kingdom alone, probably a similar proportion of seniors in other countries that are getting their main social interactions through watching talk shows or like Fox News people who are just have Fox News or like the MSNBC people, like the resistance, sort of like Rachel Maddow's blowing open the Trump Russia thing tonight. Like, she, the, <laughs> like I can tell, like I'm, I will follow Maddow every day. And it seems like in the next couple of days, the whole tower of cards is going to come crumbling down and there's like another senior who's like watching john stossel and like he's like man we've never had a president like trump before like so proud of the way that he's like serving yeah we got the best president ever right now and the best comparison i can think of when it comes to like zoomers millennials and zoomers and other young people is like twitch streamers these parasocial relationships where you can not just watch the democratic debate, but watch the democratic debate with a handsome guy from the young Turks, or you can watch the democratic debate. It's
1: all these, like it's a kind of social circle, right? Like the old person watching John Stossel, Tucker Carlson, those are his friends and who he's with and who he connects with. Like it's getting into some of that same brain circuitry. I'm sure it must be. And with like streamers or even with what we're doing, with what like a lot of online content creation YouTubers it's the same kind of thing but i think streaming is pretty unique in that it's the closest medium that exists to hanging out with people i think certain podcasts are also really like that as well ours is a bit less so because we do so much production and like like we're giving a presentation less than We're just hanging out with you Mm -hmm. generally.
0: Yeah, Yeah, there's lots of podcasts and like longer ones where you can just get like every day your two hours of chilling with someone or like. Right. And I noticed myself too. And like, you know, when people talk about parasocial relationships, it's often through a lens that sort of tends towards the negative side of it or like some sort of falseness of it. But I noticed that like when I listen to podcasts that I'm familiar with that I like used to listen to. I used to work in like a factory job where I listen to podcasts for like six or eight hours a day. And when, still to this day, when I go back and listen to those podcasts, like new episodes, I don't usually like keep up with it. There's like a legitimate social comfort that comes with it. Like it really, it really quenches loneliness. Like it really makes me feel less lonely to hang out with podcasts people yeah and I think it's like a real feeling it's not like
1: definitely yeah the idea that it's just like totally fake or even that like socializing on social media isn't real like I kind of disagree with that like I think the friends you have in Facebook groups that you've only ever talked to through chat are your friends in a sense like they're definitely more your friends than just like everyone you've accepted a friend request from for example like you interact with these people, like for example, like your Twitter followers say like you certain people you talk to a bunch on Twitter, there is a relationship there. So I, I don't like the tendency to diminish it as if it's not doing anything. Part of the reason so many people are really online is because it does help. It's not perfect, but it, it does help, like legitimately.
0: Yeah, when it comes to social media, like thoughts of feeling small or empty in an enormous universe, for me, really only happen when I'm scrolling the main feed. When I'm scrolling the front timeline on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, just like the infinite scroll, uh-huh. that's where I get like, I can find myself having my mood drop of just like this deep boredom and sadness. But if I'm going to an individual's profile that I like and reading the different things that they've curated, I'm pretty happy there. Private messages, enriching stuff, especially going up to like video or audio message. And if you want to be more like security conscious, there's ways to avoid, putting everything on Facebook, but the tools are there. You can talk like with video with your family members or whatever, call yeah. your grandma and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I think when people have a tendency to think of social media as antisocial or generating these antisocial outcomes or loneliness and stuff like that, they're really thinking about scrolling that horrible main feed that's just, it's an algorithm gamble that's designed to make you look at the ads and it's not working for you the same yeah. way that like... An, a video chat. I don't think that we as human beings are put on this world in this universe to scroll social feeds until we feel so horrible we buy something from one of those ads. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's what we're here for. There's actually Firefox and I think probably Chrome add-ons as well where you can hide the main feeds on social media sites. I've used that before and I recommend it. I actually talking about it makes me want to like reinstall it. And it,
1: like in addition to like the weird design elements, I think the other reason social media gets like, kind of a bad reputation for causing negative emotions, endless empty feelings of dread or what have you is because like, I think positive social interactions on social media can be like really, truly enriching. Maybe like they're missing dynamics that in-person interactions would have that might enhance them in various ways but they're still real but like negative social interactions on social media are also really real and the things that are missing on social media that make the good experiences a bit less resolution or whatever like you're missing out on part of it that same missing part in the negative interactions just like curdles them in a way that can be hard to break out of so The mixture of the good experiences of friendship being there, but maybe a bit less potent than real life ones, but the negative experiences being, if anything, sometimes more potent than in real life. Yeah, it like if you're a really lonely person and like social media is one of your main ways that you stay connected to people, it's a lifesaver. Like it's a really good thing at the same time is some major downsides. And the thing you were just mentioning about there being an incentive to not show other people that you're lonely, the incentives that social media puts on people to present this, like, story about themselves having this great life, just, like, amplifying that by so much. And then, like, of course, you know, putting us in front of screens instead of in rooms with one another, amplifying the already existing widespread alienation in society everywhere. (laughs)
0: Breakup up text. I still can't believe you said that to me.
1: What? You are kind of a loner. You enjoy spending a lot of time alone. There's nothing bad about being a loner. I think it describes your personality.
0: I don't think you were just calling me a loner in a neutral taxonomical way. You were implying that I lack needed social connections in my life just because me and you are different types of people.
1: It's fucked up. How many times do I need to explain myself to you over and over again? It's never good enough. It's just like that time I accidentally taped over your video and you kept saying I did it on purpose. I apologized and apologized and you just hold it against me.
0: You hated when I watched that tape. I'm supposed to think it's some sort of coincidence that your least favorite tape that I'd watch over and over and over again gets accidentally taped over, get real. It's my favorite tape and your least favorite tape. It doesn't take a scientist to figure out what happened there.
1: That tape is what was making you lonely anyway. You spend so much time watching that tape. You're hypnotized by it. I can't stand it. Okay, I admit it. I did it on purpose. I taped over your stupid tape, and I do think you're a loner.
0: Well, if you taped over my tape, that means you don't understand me, which means that the loneliness I feel when I'm with you is justified. I think we need to do the mature thing here and go two separate paths to break up town and ride horses in opposite directions, partner.
1: Wow, you feel lonely when you're with me? I didn't know. I thought I was the only time you weren't lonely.
0: Not even mad anymore, I'm just sad. Time for cowpokes to leave the ranch. Yeehaw! This town's not big enough for the two of us. Sorry I always do the cowboy thing when I'm really upset. And my life's changing forever.
1: I know we've been together for four years. I've experienced your cowboy texts before.
0: Looks like we're gonna be riding this one into the sunset.
1: One hoof in front of the other, in opposite directions.
0: You know what they say, there's plenty of gold in the hills.
1: Maybe we couldn't find the gold when we were together, but we'll find the gold now
0: that we're apart. Sun goes down and the sun comes up.
1: And so, after four years of spending time together day in and day out, sharing their happinesses and sadnesses, learning and growing and laughing and fighting together, these two lonely cowpokes made off on their own.
0: And these were the breakup texts. According to this paper on the research on loneliness called Loneliness Matters, a theoretical and empirical review of the consequences and mechanisms, people who are lonely or socially isolated, their vigilance for social threat is increased, which alters their psychological functioning in a way that decreases sleep quality and can increase the chance of death across causes. So this vigilance for social threats, one of the things that comes out of it is that negative experiences are more memorable than positive experiences, right? Um, It's one of the side effects of that sort of social isolation. And we also know that like sleep quality and sleep deprivation causes a number of other things that involve misunderstanding the intents of others, like reading neutral faces as negative and stuff like that. These are things that can happen from sleep deprivation, which sleep deprivation can be caused by loneliness,
1: right? And yeah, these things feed into each other and like cause your perceptions to be warped, which then make you less likely to reach out to people for help because these things stack on each other and it becomes so much. Other like physical effects of loneliness just that I found researching around was that it can contribute to Alzheimer's disease and dementia in old age, like just not having social connections, the brain deteriorates faster. Like it it, it also just causes memory problems and brain fog in general in people. And also I thought it was really interesting that being lonely decreases your pain threshold. Changing nothing else about you, you as you exist right now, feeling lonely versus not feeling lonely. If the same thing happened to you, the same pinprick, the same stubbed toe, whatever, when you're feeling lonely, it's going to hurt more. The sensation of pain is going to be bigger because social connection releases endorphins in your body, which are your body's own opiates, like painkiller. Like that's what regulates your perception of pain.
0: Related to that, I was just reading about placebo effect. Like one of the things that placebo is really good at is things that are self-reported. Like things like pain management and stuff, even people who know they're taking a placebo get noticeable effects from taking placebos for pain above the average. So it doesn't work for everyone, but it works for more people than doing nothing. And I was reading that the function of that is your body's system with like opioid receptors being able to generate its own sort of like opioid connections, which relieve pain. And yeah, another theory on part of why it works is the idea of like having a social relationship with the doctor impacting it. Like yeah, right. the social relationship with the, you know what a doctor is, you know what the symbol of a doctor is, you know what the symbol of a pill is, you know what the relationship of a doctor and a patient is and what the doctor is trying to do. And through all of that knowledge, your brain is able to make those connections to it, have pain relief just because a doctor gave you a pill and told you it would work. And you know that doctors know that sort of thing, even if you know that it's a placebo.
1: So yeah, we live in a society that alienates us from other people because a lot of our interactions are transactional or like fake, like you go to Starbucks and you know, they're paid to be happy, which is like, like it's pleasant in a way to be around, but also just not like a human connection, obviously. Mm -hmm. And we like all go home to our like individual apartments. And like, if you want to go do something with friends, you got to make a plan and like get over the hump of needing to go out. Like something I saw a lot of people saying when talking about loneliness was that, like, I'm an introvert already anyway. And so any, like, particular day, it seems easier or preferable to just not do anything with my friends. So I don't, like, attempt to make contact. And then, like, I just have slowly accidentally, on purpose, isolated myself because I'm not forced into any kind of social interaction, even though I want it, like long-term I want it, broadly I want it, in any particular evening. There's just so much inertia built up already on like not going out and not doing anything, not changing any of this, that it's hard to break through that inertia. And like, I think for a lot of people, that inertia is like depression or anxiety.
0: One of the points of information I saw from one of the sources, We'll put some sources down in the description of this episode of just places you can do more reading on this stuff. But One of the sources was saying that one of the sort of predictive things for reporting loneliness is like people were less likely to report loneliness if they were employed than unemployed. I and mean, that also a lot of people's like most consistent social interactions are through work but also having a job doesn't mean that you're not going to feel lonely like you could feel totally isolated from your coworkers and like not have a connection with them yeah so it
1: depends on the place like some places have high turnover and like you're part-time you don't work with the same people very often
0: yeah i just mentioned that because it just sort of got me thinking about how like getting over that hump you're saying like our society has designed this not just imperfect but often really brutal mechanism for getting people to get over that anxiety hump and leave their house which is that if they don't get over that anxiety hump and leave their house and go to a workplace go put out resumes go be part of a job and help generate profit for someone they won't have the necessary means of life yeah they'll starve (laughs) to death right so like that's
1: one way to get people to do something despite having like massive depression or anxiety or like if you like really anxious about social interactions like it feels like the stakes are so high you're like feeling like fear being rejected or that like other people aren't gonna like you or you're like unworthy of having friends so it's just like it's just easier to not be around anyone like when you have social anxiety it's just like a relief every time you're alone. So then that's like a very strong reinforcement mechanism. Right. So like, yeah, one way to force people to do things anyway is to like threaten them with starvation or death or homelessness or whatever. The stick, the stick, The other way is to, like, figure out where the depression and anxiety are coming from and help people get better from them. But again, that would require, like, you know, offering some help for people. It would require not having, like, a completely broken mental health system.
0: Yeah, and having the absence of that places a lot of the care work, the social maintenance of, like, helping people to stay above the waterline into informal social arrangements based on like having comfort with one another and so like the people who don't have anyone they feel that they can be close with which is a significant portion of the population like that's a really tough position and I think there's different ways that that sort of isolation can come out in other forms than expressing your feelings to a trusted person you know like like resentment or like depression or there can be different ways to cope with that Gap, But even in cases where people do have people they feel they can talk to, they probably feel like they don't have enough in a lot of cases. And care work, which is actually like real work and like ongoing work, falls on people in a volunteerist sort of model that also has a tendency to like put that sort of work onto women instead of men because of like the weird sort of toxic culture around men expressing feelings to each other it's easier for men to express their feelings to a woman whether or not that that's their you know girlfriend or partner or something like that or a trusted female friend there's yeah. something like there's the a cultural association of like oh this is a place that i can be soft this is a place where i can yeah no be i've, seen, I've seen,
1: like women online mentioning certain men of sometimes just out of nowhere apropos of no previous relationship between them no repertoire like started dumping a whole bunch of like really emotional stuff on them just assuming that it was okay like because they just need to express it and they like don't feel like they can express it to their friends and they have like misogynist stuff
0: yeah it's a shakespearean tragedy that sort of anecdote of like how all these different forces work together to create this mutually unpleasant situation for just society like I'm not saying therapy should be a replacement for friendships that like people need to go pay someone in order to talk deeply about their feelings. I mean, ideally, everyone should have people in their lives that they can really share their internal world with. But because of the way our society is set up, I think there's people who don't actually just need a friend. They also do need therapy, especially in cases where there's deep stuff to work through that like you.
1: Yeah. Therapists have training in a specific field to treat issues. Like it's a different thing than a friendship for sure.
0: And there's a lot of people like, like I can't afford to just go to therapy because I want to. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people in that territory. So there might also be room to say, like acknowledge that like what's really needed is therapy, but we're going to find ways to mutually support each other as friends. And for sure there's room for a bunch of nuance here. And I just, I didn't want to accidentally Make the case that social relationships should be commodified and turn into a professionalized therapy care work at the expense of normal human relationships, which I think are part of this picture. Welcome back to 101.1 FM. One is the
1: loneliest number, so they say, and so 101.1 is lonely three times.
0: One times one times one, you do the math. Now, a recent poll showed that over 50% of Wrongtown residents rate themselves as sometimes or always lonely, lonely, lonely.
1: That's over four and a half million ears wide open. To the broadcast of this lonely station,
0: we broadcast music, sports, news from a lonely perspective. Lonely audio waves for lonely ears. Now, word from the people who keep lonely, lonely, lonely radio 101.1 on the air. Are you feeling Ooh, How long is the ad break for? It's a two minutes,
1: a or yeah, no, you can. Sure, yeah, yeah no, I just had to ask the boss something. something. Yeah, I can so,
0: hold the four. Worst case scenario, I can throw another record on or whatever. So
1: yeah, I'll be down in the lair. Ending, See you spending, in a bit. To fill that deepening hole.
0: I'll
1: walk down the long lonely hallway where it becomes kind of more like a cave than a building. Slowly sloping, lit with torches, burrowed into the rocks, a smell of sulfur. Yeah, this is where the boss is, alright. And, uh, into the cavern. Hey. I- Boss, uh, are you uh, are you busy? Copy <laughs> oh, yeah. it. Uh, yeah, so um, Capitalist Loneliness Vampire Boss, we were just on the air. Yes, it was incredible. I've been
0: feeding on all the loneliness. <laughs> yeah, I know
1: those millions of lonely people, those open ears, they keep the dollars flowing in and keep
0: you... <laughs> we capture the attention of the lonely and then we sell it off to the highest bidder.
1: I just, I want to ask again if maybe um, I could call into the show sometime and get to hear the chimes. I've been really lonely myself.
0: <laughs> yeah, the chimes, <laughs> not all it's cracked up to be. It's a monkey paw type thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I make them lonely later and then I feed on that uh, loneliness and it makes my muscles grow.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's how being a loneliness vampire works, sir. That's right. So that's a no on the chimes. No curing my crushing loneliness. I know you said it's not all that is cracked up to be, but it, I still cling to it. No chimes.
0: <laughs> I want to feed
1: on You're your really, loneliness. It hurts. He's feeding off so my loneliness and growing strong, crying. while the rest of us grow weak. And death. it's not right. I'm going back on the air, and I'm telling people to turn off the radio station. Tell them they don't have to be lonely anymore. We're going to end loneliness for real. Ah, I use vampiric hypnosis. Oh no, he's breaking out the hypnotizing uh, watch. It's okay, to lie,
0: it's called Namaste. Cool. You'll be hypnotized soon. Oh. Loneliness feeds your family. We need the loneliness industry. I need
1: the loneliness industry.
0: Without the loneliness industry, Wrongtown would be a desolate place.
1: Wrongtown would be desolate.
0: (laughs) Go back to work. You're fully hypnotized. Get out of here.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you for allowing me to work at this radio station that does such great work.
0: Yes, I'm good to you. I let you feed your family and have a home and stuff.
1: You do so much for me, sir. I'm grateful. The whole city is grateful, honestly. You're down here in this subterranean cave, in this cold, dank space because it's the only place that supports your vampire physiology. You're the true hero in all of this. I just neglected to notice it. I'm stealing from you by being employed by you and not offering you more, more of my time, more of my loneliness. So I'm going to try to do that. That's right. And if I were you, I wouldn't
0: stick around here if you were ripping me off. You're
1: right. You're right. And I have to get back on the air anyway. That's right. Be sneaky. Get out of here and and sneakily get
0: away with this.
1: Sneaking out, sir. Thank
0: you. I'll just take a little bit of loneliness for the road. So I'm an entrepreneur. I want to make millions or billions in the pharmaceuticals market in the United States. You know, I'm reading this stuff about loneliness. I'm like, hey, I'm going to make a pill that I'm going to sell via TV ads. Ask your doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, List the side effects at the end. Stop the feelings at the source. Stop the feelings at the source. Just directly, no need to increase social connection. No need for any of that. Just a pill that just shuts down the part of your brain that feels the hunger for social connection does that combat loneliness
1: it does that seems like a direct attack on loneliness that's the thing i just said that I don't want to say we shouldn't, it's getting weird because the example now, I, I'm not saying like we shouldn't have pills that help people with mental health issues, but uh, a magic pill that just eliminates loneliness. Yeah,
0: that should be an interesting, like a pill that perfectly tackles loneliness where like you just like never feel the urge to reach out to a friend or like talk to anyone. You just never at all in any way feel that urge or desire or any like Seems sort of dystopian.
1: Yeah, it would sure make living in our current society easier, though, (laughs) in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: it, it it would. So I'm going to make my millions through these TV ads, is what you're saying. Yeah, you
1: know, if I'm being honest, it's not a bad strategy to make your melee
0: Yeah, it's funny, but it feels like it's attacking people specific pharmaceutical regimens or something like that, which we know nothing about. I didn't really mean to invoke that so much. It's just like in the metaphorical sort of wrong town universe of stopping the thoughts of the source, there is sort of an implicit like critique in our comedy because in your metaphor you said that it's like the fire alarm. It's good that it exists but I was like, you get a pill to stop the fire alarm. Then it implies that
1: there's a fire going on. Yeah. Like depression say is like my arm hurts. Like that's the sim. like the experience of pain. You're like, I'm depressed. My arm hurts. The like immediate cause I guess is like you have a broken arm or you have a chemical imbalance in your brain. Those are like physiologically causing it. And then it's like, okay, what broke your arm or like what happened in your life or world or biology that caused the, ke- like Just like there's a reason for broken arms, there's usually a reason for chemical imbalance in the brain. And like a lot of times when people look, and this isn't controversial at all, if you look at depression on the Wikipedia page, one of the major causes of depression is like, shit that happens in your life. People understand this intuitively, and there are definitely some people for whom that doesn't seem to apply. And if there's genetic causes or other things, obviously I have no idea about any individual person or like cases or anything like that. Depression and anxiety medications can really, really help people. Like anxiety medication really helped me in my life a lot. Like if you have pain, a painkiller is good. And if you have a chronic pain condition where the pain could never go away for whatever reason. Obviously, painkillers are good. But just because like painkillers are really good in some situations doesn't mean anytime someone's feeling pain, I would say, that a painkiller like solves the problem. And I think like the over-reliance on medication comes from the capitalism side of this too, because doctors don't have a lot of time, going to doctors is expensive, and doing the kind of deep interpersonal work that we talked about, like building relationships, having care work and mental health work available for people. And like therapy can really help people with this. It can help people get to the core of like what's causing the issues that they're having first helping them understand what they're feeling like we were talking like anyone who didn't realize they were lonely or didn't realize they were resentful or didn't realize they were whatever like whatever emotions you don't notice you're having that's part of the goal of like a therapeutic relationship they can help point that out to you because when you're repressing an emotion, like it's still coming out in certain ways it'll come out in views you have or things you speak and so like having that reflected back at you with other people can help you understand what you're actually feeling. And then once you understand what you're actually feeling, you can get a better understanding of what's causing it. So like if it is something to do with the way society is set up, is there some way you can mitigate that in your life personally? Or if it is like a trauma that exists in your past, there are ways that people do get better from that when they have help. Like it is possible that people get better from feeling anxious all the time sometimes people get better from feeling depressed all the time sometimes like i when you're in the midst of these things it can feel eternal and it can feel like it's never going to end or if it stops for a bit and then comes back it's like oh of course it came back like it's eternal it's like like it, it has that type of feeling to it so I, like it's important to mention that like people do get better from these things sometimes and it's like possible and once you know like what it is, like more than the broad direction of depression or anxiety. Like anxiety is like threat detection. It's like something's wrong. Something might hurt you. And depression is like, I feel meaningless. I feel like I don't want to do anything. There's no point. So like those are broad directions, but there's more specific things inside those. So once you figure out what those are and what's causing them, sometimes the cause is something that's actually pretty easy to fix. Like there's a way your life is structured and there's a way you can fix it. And that's awesome. Sometimes it's more difficult. And like, sometimes there's something that is causing it that you just can't fix. And so then you have to, then it turns more to like figuring out what sort of coping mechanisms might help you with that, whether that might be meditation or like CBT or medication, all kinds of different things. But like, again, yeah, figuring out what the problem is gives you the road to figuring out how to actually fix it. But understanding what you're feeling and where it comes from is a skill that is like sorely missing in our society right now. But it's also just like not always something you can do by yourself because one of the major symptoms of depression and anxiety is that sometimes like you think things about the world that aren't true. People have more trouble controlling certain impulses And they participate in this kind of like motivated reasoning. That's like, that's another thing therapy does, like cognitive behavioral therapy is like pointing out to people things like, oh, you're catastrophizing. You took this specific thing and you generalized it and you like the ways in which these mental illnesses cause us to think about things irrationally that, that create these self-perpetuating loops that contribute to that feeling that it's, like, eternal and that it'll never end. And so that kind of thing, like, when you're in these thought loops of, like, irrational, depressed, or anxious thoughts, and you don't have the tools to know how to get, like, there's no bootstrap. Like, people sometimes, miraculously, are able to pull themselves out of these kind of states without help from other people. But generally, it's not how it works.
0: Something you said that really resonated with my experience is, like, the motivated reasoning that can come out of an emotional state. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I remember also noticing that and it's just still not being able to escape it at the same time of like having this sort of like, Oh here I'm doing it. But still like, I'm really like, I believe it. Um, (laughs) like it was probably after some, you know, bad thing had happened in my life. And then I just like, Oh, like this relationship ended everything's horrible. Like it's my fault. It's their fault. I'm, Oh, I'm so upset. I'm like, I'm alone. I'll be alone forever. Everyone hates me. Oh, I've socially isolated during the duration of this relationship. I don't have enough close friends outside the relationship anymore. Oh, I'm very upset at myself. And then I think about something else random, like my workplace. Oh, yeah. And I'm awful at my job. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone hates me uh, at my workplace. Or just randomly something else. Space. Humanity is never going to consciously go to space in a way that's responsible. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly. Like We're either going to go as colonizers or not at all. We can't balance it. We can't thread the needle.
1: It's because like part of your mind when you're doing that thinks like, oh, I feel like shit, whatever that might mean in the instance. I feel like shit. I feel angry. I feel like that hurt. That annoy- I feel like shit. But I, if I just think about it, like I'll figure it out. I'll figure out how to not be like this anymore. That's how you would justify that you're thinking about all these things afterwards. Like, yeah, we have all these problems. Of course, I have to think about the problem. you saying I shouldn't think about the problems, right? But like that is also motivated reasoning. And it is just like this emotional part of you utilizing your intellect in order to justify itself. It's not about figuring things out, even though that's like kind of what you think you're doing.
0: You're figuring things in.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, you're, <laughs> you're incorporating more and more things into the feeling. Like, if you're a smart person, you're probably making great arguments as to why all these things are true.
0: Oh, yeah. Ju- and just, like, crushing. Just, like, the more. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can definitely convince yourself of some things
1: bulletproof but it's like you don't need conv- you're already convinced of those things that's why you're saying them like your whole self isn't convinced of those things the part of you that feels that way is convinced of those things like we all know that like you don't you feel multiple ways about different things that's why we like have internal disagreements with ourselves should i do this should i not you have different parts of you that feel different ways about things
0: we we're talking about democracy chips recently that would go in our brains and connect everyone in a grid if yeah. we did that and yes. that if that was our dystopian slash utopian future depending on how you look at it and the specific implementations do you think if you were conflicted about something the part of you that feels one way could network with the part of other people that feel that way to (laughs) or do you think you'd internally have to come to resolution before you go to the the network like the part of me that feels that we should just take away all of the inherited wealth of the super rich and there's a part of a lot of people that feel that way and if those parts all work together before <laughs> mediating inside myself. I think it could be dangerous and powerful, but
1: yeah, it, it would depend. Like if all the parts are equally like with the part of you that tempers that be with the parts, that, who knows? Yeah. it's a brave new world. I haven't figured out how to navigate that yet.
0: Maybe the part of you that feels lonely could connect with the part of other people that feels lonely and make one big argument together that everyone's lonely. <laughs>
1: If you find yourself making all these like motivated reasonings or something and like you want to knock it off in the moment and you're having a tough time, sometimes this works, might be helpful. When people are lonely, something that helps a lot of the time, even if they're not with anyone else, is some comfort. So if part of you feels really lonely, you could try to comfort yourself. Say like, instead of being like, oh, why didn't you go be with your friends if you're so lonely? You're such an idiot. Whatever, Like whatever the... The thing is instead of doing that being like oh yeah no totally makes sense why you'd feel lonely like with this society the way it is and like your anxiety and depression and making it like you know just have some compassion for yourself Mm -hmm. and then that lonely part of you might quiet down and stop like hijacking your brain to make all these arguments that make you feel even more panicked in the moment like it can be helpful
0: i'm far from an expert on this but i was just thinking of like the part of me that can get like really anxious about things sometimes and just like how it's useful in the sense that i can put on the anxiety goggles and find the fault lines and like if it's a skill set to have to have that like critical lens but just like how do you create tools to prevent that from ever taking over the driver's seat how do you create a firewall to keep the driver's seat the like this is a pseudoscientific metaphor for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I like I don't know. I don't know. Like one thought that I have is that it might be possible to get those same benefits without the anxiety. Whatever the anxious part of you is really worried that you need to be on the lookout for. Like it feels like if you give up the anxiety, then like no one's on that watch anymore. Like that part of you is down.
0: I shut down part of the bridge on my enterprise that was scanning right. for threats. And yeah, now it's yeah, just exactly. open season on the whole crew, including charismatic leader, including.
1: <laughs> I don't want this to sound too bullshitty psychology, like, but I think I'm right about this the part of you that thinks it needs to like berate yourself and make you anxious inside of you in order for you to be able to do that stuff doesn't trust you like it's the same part of you that thinks that other people aren't going to like you or that you're worthless or that you're whatever it is for you you know like it's different words or different flavors of it for different people but part of the reason it keeps existing is because it really thinks it needs to keep existing in order to do all these X things. And it's really good at arguing that point. And it's really hard to argue against it. You actually probably can't argue against it. Like, I don't think you would convince the anxious part of you that it doesn't need to be anxious using like logic. It'll probably beat you every time. But it hijacks the whole system. If you can offer it some comfort, because the anxiety is not wrong, like that's why it can beat you in the argument for why you need it, and that's why you're wondering how to keep it without getting in the driver's seat. It actually makes sense. Like it's just it's a weird thing, but like this is actually like a big revelation for me, I guess, or just like clicking and understanding of like like I've had social anxiety as like an issue in my life. But for a long time, I just like kind of thought that it came from nowhere, that it just like it was I was afflicted with it. You know, like I don't you don't think that you're like, oh, this came from nowhere. (laughs) And like, yes, in the moment, a lot of the time this might be an irrational emotional reaction, but it's kind of not irrational. It comes from somewhere that makes sense. And so when you understand that, that's just like it's so much more explanatory. Like you can have a story about where it comes from and where you are now, rather than it being this eternal thing that's just on you all the time, or it feels eternal when it is on you, even if it comes and goes. Being able to put it in a context and being like, oh yeah, that's that part of me. Even if it never goes away, you just have a better relationship to it. Sometimes the thing that's making these emotions so big and so unmanageable is the fact that we are trying to distance ourselves from them or we're trying to pull away from them. We're trying to make them stop rather than saying, oh, what is this? What am I feeling? And why? And why does it make sense? And where is it coming from? And what can I do? And a lot of the times it might be like introspective work or like finding those parts of you that need comfort and comforting them, all that kind of stuff. Those are really productive thoughts. But how can I put up this wall to block off the feeling so it doesn't get in the driver's seat then you're at war with yourself again and that will require a lot of willpower and like you might be able to block the anxiety from getting in the driver's seat for quite a long time like people do it they use their willpower to smush it down and stop it but eventually those feelings that you're putting the firewall up around have to be acknowledged
0: It's sort of interesting how like there's this common sort of like stoic non-emotive, ideal on like these different contexts like soldiers and militaries and religious priests and monks this like stoic indifference emotional repression yeah has these different cultural forms
1: it's into well like i think you can reach a place of like what seems like stoicism on the outside from two different paths and one of them is that you've like You've become at peace with your emotional reactions, and you can like allow them to happen and watch them, and not suffer through them necessarily. Or you can repress your emotions. So, like when I think about soldiers, I generally think about the latter, and when I think about monks, at least like an idealized version of monks, I
0: think about the former. If you could mix them, you know, and have that sort of idealized monk peace with their emotions, peace with death, and so on on the battlefield, would they be unstoppable?
1: Yes. Yeah if they felt like they were fighting for a righteous cause because if they didn't then they'd like wouldn't be able to repress the horror that they feel at like committing an unjust murder right like so there's kind of a catch 22 in that but like if they were like 100% convinced they were in the right i think they would be pretty unstoppable yeah squad goals <laughs> <laughs> and now for a public service announcement to the front lines of the battle against loneliness Throw me that rope. Uh, here I you go. Last suit. I got him. I got, got him. loneliness. <laughs> the anthropomorphized <laughs> human figure of loneliness. Here, let drag him over. This war's been going on for millennia, and you and me captured him. Can you believe it? <sighs> man. I have a great idea. I know the Orders say we got to take them to the Superior,
0: right? Yeah, they said take them alive.
1: What if instead we bail and we just kind of torture, dismember, kill, take some pictures of us with the parts, yeah, make us look really cool? So we'll be heroes. Yeah, we'll be absolute heroes the for the whole that planet. The guys
0: dismembered loneliness. loneliness throughout
1: all of history. The scourge of loneliness. Like, it's the problem itself and we have to kill it.
0: Oh,
1: I- it's the basis of this war, right? That it's the problem itself and we have to kill it?
0: Oh, man, can I just say, soldier to soldier? Sure, bro. Like I know we went through training together and like, the bread bred us to be killing machines. You huh. can tell me anything. The Geneva Convention of 1949 and the additional protocols of the 8th of June 1977 contain a number of provisions that absolutely prohibit torture and other cruel or inhumane treatment or any outrages on personal dignity, so... I'm leaning to follow the Geneva Convention and not commit a war crime to the anthropomorphized embodiment of loneliness. Does bro, that- just Really? Come on, bro. It's totally cringe, bro. What the fuck?
1: Really, the Geneva <sighs> Convention? Why don't you call it the Vagina Convention?
0: No. A little bit of sexist humor between bros? Look, I think we both know that the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court of Law is clear on Article 7. It's a crime against humanity.
1: But just think about how cool it will be to tear apart this body limb from limb.
0: Do you think it's cool? We can push
1: down all of our emotions, tear apart the body limb from limb, and be, like, hyper-masculine and chill about it. It'll be so awesome, dude. Please, do this with me.
0: Bros, don't let bros become sad, murderous husks chasing a false notion of justice. I just won't allow it. We're going to follow international human rights law, and we're going to knock off that sexist humor. (sighs) Ah,
1: yeah, okay. Now these people were lucky. They managed not to break the Geneva Conventions, and realize their mistake about making sexist jokes, but not everyone is so lucky. And that's why our organizations have teamed up to make this public service announcement.
0: Hi there. I'm the CEO and president of Stopping the Criminal Torture of Prisoners of War International. And I'm the
1: sub-media outreach coordinator for the Brocialists Against Patriarchy.
0: A lot of people thought that by combining advocacy against the torture of prisoners of war and advocacy against misogynistic or otherwise offensive jokes would seem to trivialize the real importance of women being free from antagonistic spaces and cultures and I think we totally disprove that today I think we really sort of eloquently hit both notes and showed committing war crimes and making jokes with like misogynistic premises within them are both bad significantly in different ways
1: absolutely and I think it's so important for people to be hearing that from the CEO of a organization against war crimes, because you know, I can say that till I'm blue in the face, but hearing it from you is so, so important. And like, yes, obviously war crimes are a more visceral horror, like an individual instance of one war crime versus one misogynistic or sexist joke but sexist jokes are everywhere in society and becomes part of the fabric of people's psychology and how they see the world. And it really plays an important role in like an ever-present system that keeps half the population in a state of not being equal. So it's really a huge problem. It's one of the hugest problems in the world. And the idea that it would seem trivial by comparison, putting them next to each other is part of the problem. So that's why I think It was actually just a serendipitously lucky thing that our budgets happened to work out that we thought we'd collab up on this PSA.
0: Yeah, we're both military buffs. And we both often run PSAs, you know. Yeah. Oh, kids shouldn't do drugs this time, or oh, don't put your eyes too close to the computer screen. You know, we get the grants for it and stuff. And we've been talking about doing a military thing for what 20, 25 years now. Oh, we should sure, got to do yeah. a big military one. lifelong dreams. And then you got the grant for the sexist comments and workplaces. Yeah. I got the grant for the the war crimes. Why
1: produce two military-themed PSAs about two different topics when they both look shoestring budget? You know, military. You gotta pull out all the stop. So, by combining budget combining issues, it made it much more powerful. Oh yeah,
0: worth it. Worth every 100,000 dollars or more. The
1: graphic scenes of loneliness being dismembered in the thought bubble above the head of the character who wanted to do that. Those were all added on later with some of the extra budget. He wasn't
0: really thinking that. The only problem is that we spent so much money on these wonderful explosions and set pieces and big designs, a lot of which we actually had to ultimately cut for time to do this sequence where we reflected on it together and talked about our advocacy. And frankly, like, sexism, especially severe sexism, is inhuman treatment, and it outrages individuals' dignity. Yeah, so sexist jokes kind of break the Geneva Convention. During wartime? Absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, on the show, we try to, like, not be, like here's how to live your life, here's how to do, like we got the solutions to all problems. We don't know, we don't know things. We know some things, we try to know. But it feels like by talking about loneliness for a long time and then not talking about some of the pathways out of loneliness as like an individual and as a society, is a little bit cruel, like it's a little bit, uh, it's an incomplete picture of loneliness unless we address it.
1: There's some weirdness sometimes around giving advice about this because different people who are experiencing loneliness Will be at different places in their life and have different levels of things that they can do. So, if like the advice is, why don't you go do X thing that seems like really easy to me, but the lonely person's like, oh, I'm actually like struggling with depression or anxiety or other mental illnesses or just other issues in my life. So, I can't do that thing. And hearing a bunch of advice that you feel like you can't do can trigger all that same stuff of like, being really harsh or cruel with yourself. So sometimes people wanna like push back on super simplistic advice. And I definitely like don't wanna fall into that. Like there's only so much each of us can do and our society like already asks so much from people. So like this isn't meant to be a pylon on any of that, but there are definitely things People can do, you know, definitely sometimes people need help and that's what they need and not that they need to do anything. They need help. But sometimes even people who do need help, there are people around them who are willing to help them. And for all kinds of various reasons, sometimes like we have trouble accepting help from other people, whether that means just like saying yes when they offer or like expressing your problem to someone who would help if they knew about it. Like even in the most utopian society you can imagine, the skill of being able to accept help is going to be necessary for anyone to be able to help you. Because like help is out there. There's definitely not enough, but it is out there.
0: Yeah, I watched this TED talk or it was like TEDx talks by this doctor Olivia Ramez. So she's a PhD at the University of Cambridge who focuses on anxiety and depression. In this TED talk I watched, she defined loneliness as having that self reflexive dislike. Like loneliness as defining feature as being not just oh I feel alone and that's bad. I wish I was around people but returning to the question of what's wrong with me? Like I'm mm-hmm. alone, so what's wrong with me? And yeah. like that's the defining feature of loneliness. And like that if you're alone and you wanna be around people and you're not blaming yourself, you're not lonely in the sense that that she's focused on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of one of the definitions of depression is rage turned against the self. That's one of the ways like psychologists or psychiatrists conceive of it. Like that element of loneliness and depression And anxiety of, like, being traumatized, that self-reflexive, what's wrong with, like, that's that's super, that's at the core of so many things.
0: She suggested two ways to help combat loneliness, and I think they both actually make sense. When I first started watching it, I was like, it's it's sort of weird to do a TED Talk about, like, how to not be lonely anymore. Mm. But I was convinced by her main points, because I know, like, there's evidence that shows that people's day-to-day happiness is based a lot on having positive interactions with people so like even having a small positive interaction with say a bus driver where you thank them and they acknowledge you or a cashier where you say it's a nice day outside and they're like yes it is Mm -hmm. and people like when I think about myself and how I interact sometimes in public when like Interacting with a bus driver or whatever. Like, I'm not in the mood to like have these deep conversations or whatever, or like open myself up to strangers and acknowledge them in a real way where I'm like, hey, give me this pack of cigarettes and like don't really look at them or whatever. But one of the things that she suggested was that in those moments in your day when you're forced to interact with people already, just take a little bit extra time to say one more thing or like ask them a question or tell them something about your day. Open up the possibilities of having more conversations with strangers. Like the way that she put it is have as many conversations with as many people as possible as a cure for loneliness. Sounds a little bit trite, but it makes sense when you understand that having a bunch of positive interactions in your day increases your mood. And we already have all these interactions in the day that we sort of mute to being neutral to bad based on our own psychological world. Mm -hmm. Whereas I see I go to this corner store all the time, the same guy's working there all the time. It's an opportunity to have an ongoing rapport with just an extra person in the world, which just literally makes... makes you more connected to your community, more connected to the the world that's around you. So that was one of the things that she suggested as a way to help deal with loneliness in the day to day. Um, And the other thing that she suggested was sharing a little bit more of yourself with people. So sharing a little bit more about your passions, things that capture you or that sort of stuff of just some people have a tendency to keep that stuff to themselves and like not always be like, well, who cares what I think? People don't care what I think. But her point is that People will care what you think some the time, and it feels good to know that someone cares about the same things you do. And mm-hmm. like that's, these are the building blocks of of fixing loneliness. It's like yeah, no, the,
1: um, all that advice makes a lot of sense to get more of a feeling of human connection in your life. And I like how they tackle different levels of it, like just like brief interactions where you go slightly above the minimum required for social interaction or just the practice of expressing what's inside of you a little bit more often so that other people see it. Like that's part of feeling connected to others is feeling that other people see you and understand you in some
0: sense. Fixing the feeling of loneliness, having these social connections, even if they're not extremely deep. Like we talk a lot about like these meaningful friendships where you can get into deep subjects and share your personal world with people and stuff. And I think that is a component to addressing the sort of social malaise, the the loneliness of like our isolated atomistic society. But the other part is to just affirm people's humanity in a small way more often every chance we get, I think is another thing is just like having that constant drip. You know, it's going to turn out to be mostly positive when you have these little conversations with people, like Mm -hmm. people generally aren't that scary. And these things also reminded me of something that I sometimes in group settings and stuff I get like really in my head about like talking to people and like small talk and stuff and it's like never really been my my scene to get into the small talk. I'm a big fan of like big talk and I want to talk about like the things that I think are most important with everyone I meet and it's like. This sort of like childish impulse I have, I guess, in a way, or like it's this unmeasured impulse to just be like, well, I really care about this. I heard this piece of advice that always stuck in my head and it's useful to put into practice is the point of small talk isn't to talk about the weather or talk about this or talk about that. It's not even just about the ritualistic acknowledging each other through using common things like the weather or whatever. The point of small talk, when it's done effectively, is to bridge the gap between something they care about and something you care about as quickly as possible. So it's to put out feelers and ask questions in a sincere way to try to find a hint of something they care about that you can really talk about. Because, I mean, maybe you personally care about socialist revolution, public transit systems, and Richard Pryor's career, and you're talking to someone... Who doesn't give a shit about any of that, but actually knows a lot about Richard Pryor. And if you can find that, like that that little thing of like, you're you're a revolutionary socialist obsessed with public transit. But you've also been a big fan of Richard Pryor and this random person who's not a socialist revolutionary really cares about Richard Pryor too. And then you guys can hit it off talking about like the shape of his career, your favorite jokes, that sort of stuff. So it's like the art of small talk is that hint, like different territory of like what are these people interested in broadly as a way to find that spot, that like Richard Pryor moment, you know, something that everyone can get behind. I feel like it's sort of another thing related to the how to address loneliness in our day-to-day lives. I think probably the majority of people who are listening to this fall into the category of at least sometimes feeling lonely. I know I'm in that category. I'm not like a hyper-social person by default.
1: I guess broadly, you know, this is really common advice. Find groups that share in common interests that you have, like maybe sports or various kinds of like meetups, things like that. But I think like the best example of this kind of thing is finding a place to volunteer, especially for our listeners or finding a political organization that you can spend time at or help do something in the world that you think is actually important. And at the same time, put you in a room with other people who also happen to share like something with you that you all really care about. And also there's just like tons of organizations out there that need volunteers all the time like this isn't something that I think would be especially difficult to to find in your area like maybe some areas like pretty remote areas but I think it's a really elegant solution because it tackles both the way our society separates us from other people habitually and also the way it like separates our lives from a sense of like accomplishing something we care about.
0: There's a bunch of different ways why the social isolation and loneliness public health crisis that we face is just directly the result of like wage society and, you know, work culture and all this this weird stuff. And one of the things that's challenging to overcome, especially if you've got the type of schedule that's not consistent, but it's really worth doing is to ritualize these social connections, if you can, like volunteering or whatever else to say, like every Tuesday I'm gonna go out to this place, I'm gonna do this thing, I know some people here, and I just know that that, that Tuesday can be like a social heartbeat. Mm -hmm. That Tuesday is nourishing for the week, that you know that next Tuesday it's gonna be there, you got your cheers, everyone knows your name kind of place and you're helping to feed people who need to be fed or you're helping to distribute socks to people who are without homes or whatever, you know?
1: Or even sometimes there's groups of friends who have things like board game nights or like ritualized social things just among small groups of friends also I think can be good like every whatever we do this rather than
0: kind of leaving it up to the fly all the time like Mm -hmm. like it's a huge positive impact when you have that sort of backbone to your social life that sort of another thing too is that so murray bookchin was an enormous advocate of the study group as a a unit of social change that he believed that all sort of like revolutionaries Mm. should be participating in regular study groups And reflect on books and share ideas and stuff like that. And I think there's a real strength to combining the sort of like reading and studying with the social interaction on talking about the reading and studying you're doing. I would note that I do think that that mode of organization tends to lead to empowering big personalities like Murray Bookchin to becoming sort of like the nucleus of these groups. And that's both a blessing and a curse. It's something to look out for. But I do think that the study group is a really a great thing to do. It's also something you can do online. It's something you can do with long distance friends, where you meet up on, say, like Skype and talk about the recent thing. And I think all these types of social interactions, it's good to get sort of like a mixture of different things. But I wouldn't I wouldn't say that the digital realm is somehow less legitimate or authentic than face-to-face stuff. Although I think it's probably best to have some face-to-face interaction in your life if it's possible. I mean, yeah, if you're a scientist in in the Arctic, you might have to wait. Oh, and the other, just another personal experience that I had mentioned to people was just so, so valuable for me in the times of my life when I was most isolated I strongly endorse improv comedy as a real art, a real powerful art that trains you to be funnier and trains you to be faster on your toes. And if you like to make people laugh, You will like improv as much or more than any other similar performance. Improv is something that engages your creativity in real time. I've always found trouble like reciting jokes or like writing jokes and then reciting them has never been what I feel excited to do. I love getting in a group of strangers, cracking jokes with them, making each other laugh. It's one of my favorite ways to meet people. And when I was like 13, 14, 15 years old, improv classes, improv groups were my social heartbeat. And if I didn't have that, I would have become very isolated.
1: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I can't remember if studies were actually done on this or if it was more just like the experience of some clinicians and some, I can't remember, but that improv has a lot of aspects to it that are really good for depression and anxiety and traumas from the past because it not just gets you with another group of people talking and laughing, but the acting out things element of it puts you in a place where you embody different emotional states. Like if we're constantly feeling depressed or anxious or like kind of closed off, we kind of get hunched over and we like close in on ourselves. And that like muscle tension held in our body like is anxiety and you feel it as anxiety and other negative emotions. And like doing improv or like acting or things like that where you are, okay, I'm a in this scene, I'm a confident person. Even if you're not like the best actor in the world, you mentally put yourself for a moment and like what does a confident person feel like and you can feel that in your body and those can be like really useful experiences for people who don't have those kinds of emotional experiences very often the acting the putting yourself in other shoes can like open you up to a variety of different like phenomenological experiences in your body that can help you kind of process your emotions similar in that vein like yoga and meditation are also just like proven to be like more helpful than placebos at helping people process and deal with traumas, depressions, anxieties, things like that. So if you have too much anxiety to even leave the house, doing some yoga might help you feel loose enough to go out to that improv class.
0: And the thing I'll just emphasize about improv class uh, before I move on here is you might be Listening to us and hearing. Oh, that sounds fun. I'd like to play around. I'd like to meet people, but I'm not really funny I'm not like a comedian type or whatever like just stop right there Improv is not about being a stand-up comedian. It's not about showing up and being like this punchline machine that's like punchline after punchline after punchline in a typical improv group You usually only have maybe like one person who's just like that obsessed with being funny most people what you're doing is by playing the scenario straight and taking the premises seriously and acting it out. It's just funny. I don't want to say like trying to be funny is never a part of it, but I'm saying the default state, eighty percent of the time, is not trying to be funny. It's just saying like, oh, okay, I'm a farmer now and I'm at a bowling alley. All right, uh, yeehaw! Here I go, rolling the <laughs> the thing, and it's like. The fact that you're not a cowboy in real life and people can see that and they can see yeah, you piecing brain. it together yeah. in the face of like, what's a cowboy bowling like? I'm eating and a piece of straw
1: and yeah, yeah. it's and like then, whatever associations you have. Yeah. And then
0: trying to do it, it will make people laugh and they're laughing with you. Like it's all this big sort of like, we're all playing this game together and like, yeah. and when it's their turn to do the ridiculous thing and they play it straight, it's funny too. So like, I just... If you feel like you like making people laugh, but you're worried that like you're not Richard Pryor level comedy genius, don't worry. Like there's seriously room for you in improv. And like not only is there room for you in improv, but you could really excel there.
1: You show up to improv and like literally everyone there is as funny as Richard Pryor. Yeah, just like like... Richard Pryor. (laughs) Just scowling at you.
0: Oh, yeah. And improvisers. Super nice. I don't want to shit on other types of comedians. But compared to improvisers, they're all mean.
1: And I think the like the last piece of advice really that I have for individuals is like because we live in a society where so much is commodified and like going out into public in general will basically cost you money if you do it for very long. If you didn't like pack water with you beforehand or pack some food with you before like it's it's hard to leave the house and not have it cost you. But there are places in society that you can exist for free things like community gardens if there's community gardens near you it doesn't usually cost any money to go in there and work at the garden there's also things like hacker spaces or maker spaces or places where people work on bikes together communal places built around shared interests again. But really broadly, one of the biggest places in society that people can go to that doesn't cost any money, that has various types of things they can participate in, is the library. Depending on what your local library is actually like, some of them are merged with community centers, some of them aren't, but they tend to have computers available they also tend to have classes sometimes on things like yoga or meditation if you want to learn those with other people rather than trying to do it by yourself or on building like skills computer skills I don't know what will be available near you but just in terms of places you can go that don't cost money even if you're looking for a place to go with your friends that you can hang out that doesn't cost money sometimes libraries and community centers can be really good for that or various like open spaces in, in cities there's not enough of this kind of stuff but sometimes the fact that there's not enough of it can make it feel like there's none of it
0: so if you're in the mindset and you feel motivated and you're like what are the tools that i could do that are going to help me to feel less lonely that's sort of what they look like this is what we've been able to find by reading what experts say about this sort of stuff boy you're home from school and you look so sad yeah, Papa, I'm having a bad day. I just want to be alone. You want to be alone? What happened? What happened? I feel weird and I feel like I'm different. Everyone at school doesn't get me and I feel like there's something wrong with me. And I just I don't have any friends at school.
1: Oh, boy. A, Are you feeling a bit lonely? I'm not real friends. So. Uh, you know, my instinct here is to tell you that it's okay that everybody gets lonely sometimes and there's lots of things we can do to help you make friends and feel more connected with people, but I just wanna quickly check my Fatherson manual to make sure that I give you the right answer. Oh, okay. for
0: sure, yeah. Don't go with a knee jerk if it's gonna lead me astray. Let's flip through the pages here. Oh, wow.
1: She's huh. almost made a big mistake. Okay, so yeah, scratch what I said. The way you're feeling is not normal. Oh. You're different from most people who have an easier time with all of this stuff inherently and there's probably something deeply wrong with you. But in a way it's kind of a blessing because actually what it says here is that it gives you a very particular insight into the foundation of reality which is that all of us are born alone, walk through life alone, and die alone. And we crave and hunger for connections, but it's never really good enough. And the ones that seem good enough are fleeting, and then they're over, and then you're alone again. These separate human bodies are prisons that each of us live in. Your curse is that you see the truth. We're so alone that even here, when I pat you on the back like this, it feels nice, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It feels like I'm touching you. But on a microscopic level, the electrons of the atoms of my hand repel the electrons of your back. And eventually, the force is just so much that we both get repelled back. And that's what feels like pressing against the other person, but it's actually not that. It's the feeling of void between us, inescapable void, which we can't cross, we can't bridge, no matter what. So that's the heart of things. And it's just always gonna be that way. But also the book mentions that there is a bright side to this, which is that, you know, my dream for you is that I want you to be an engineer, right?
0: Yeah, I don't wanna be an engineer, Dad.
1: I know you don't, but think about it like this. You're alone, you're different, forever alone, you see the truth. And that horrifying truth that you need to escape from in every moment that will always be there, the bridge out of that is going to be trying to bury yourself into something bigger than you, and that's engineering. And that's where you're going to need to derive some kind of simulacrum of satisfaction in your life, because that's the best you can hope for. But it's, it's going to be you and engineering against the world. You know, engineering's your shield. Engineering has to be everything for you, because everything is missing, and it's the only thing that you can use to fill it in.
0: Dad, that's just a horrible thing to say to a child, Dad. You can't tell me that I'm incapable of social relationships when my brain's developing. If that really happened, that wouldn't be funny. That's like, I'm a child in this sketch, Dad. It is in the book. In the
1: Fatherson System book, it says that's what you say. So. That's
0: an inhumane system. Son, you're,
1: you're growing unruly. Please, calm down.
0: Well, maybe it's time that all the boys got a little unruly, Dad. No, I I've been reading boy pill some talk. websites stop on the, the boy internet that talk. taught me about a little concept called... Patricide. Oh, no,
1: son, no, the put down the knife. The righteous
0: killing of the father by the son. Put down
1: that knife, son. It was, I, I meant well with the advice. I learned I just, this
0: on the internet, You'll be happier Dad. as an
1: engineer. Ah! Ah, ah! Stop stabbing me! Ow! Uh.
0: This could be you and your disobedient son. Scenes like
1: this, and worse, are being played out in living rooms across Papa Boy world, and we, at concerned citizens against the fatherson system, have had enough of it.
0: We say, not one more father, not one more boy. We advocate for a natural parenting approach.
1: Now some critics say that the natural parenting system inherently always means covering the boy in grease and letting him out in the fields, but uh, that was just one person who wrote one book. That's not what our organization's about.
0: And it's an influential book, but you can choose whether or not to use it. It's not like the Fatherson system, like goat milk baths. You can find the writings, it's in the sphere of ideas, but you can pick and choose. Perhaps a milk bath for my newborn, but not a milk bath for yours. Different strokes for different folks. That's the natural parenting idea.
1: And really, at the end of the day, what's worse? A milk bath? or a bloody scene like that which we just witnessed, I'd take the milk bath. Say no to the fatherson system.
0: And now back to the show. It's not ultimately on lonely individuals to make themselves not lonely. It is on all of us to make a dependable society that does not generate loneliness for no reason. So there's structural changes underneath the surface that need to happen here. And in order to address this crisis, it's not realistic to expect that everyone is going to have the energy or priority to talk a little bit longer with the guy at the gas station and all these like weird little tips to feel less isolated. People aren't going to do that just because we put it out there and it's a good idea and it's technically right.
1: Yeah, maybe a couple people are just in the exact right place where they needed that piece of advice. And that's why I think it's valuable. But like, yeah, definitely it's not like everyone's cured everyone who just listened to that who was lonely now no longer lonely thanks to that advice it's not how it works anytime you run into
0: a lonely person just shoot them a link to the loneliness episode is seriously wrong hey it's an hour and a half (laughs) two hours of your time bim bam boom cured (laughs) (laughs) no one ever thought to give people advice before So I think we need to go a step further and we need to talk about the type of society that could abolish loneliness, that could combat loneliness and defeat it. And at the heart of it, if you wanna make a society that reduces loneliness to an absolute minimum, we have to start from the principle of universal human dignity and universal human worth and universal human attention. And we need to make sure that we don't set up the society to look at certain people and look away from other people. And that might seem a little bit abstract, but I think it really comes, that's like really a huge part of the historical problems in our society is looking at some people and looking away from others. Because the people who are looked away from, when they speak out, their voice is not heard by society. And whether that's economic racial or gender justice there's so many historical examples to say look someone was speaking for a long time people were saying this for a long time and the system did not accommodate acknowledging them even for years or decades so if you want a society that doesn't systematically create loneliness part of that is going to be having a reflexive democratic society where people's voice actually legitimately matters and the voices of some aren't privileged over the voices of others and I think that's just a foundational part of addressing loneliness. Loneliness is so connected to feelings of people doubting their own worth. And so part of it is building a society that affirms, and every opportunity we get is a shared duty to affirm everyone's worth and make sure that if someone has a negative voice in their head that's saying, What's wrong with me? that society is not singing the same tune.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I read this article on a website called Calgary Journal the article is called decolonizing mental health the importance of an oppression focused mental health system focusing on the ways in which systemic oppressions against people of color in Canada and in North America contributes to mental health issues they have but also like some of the examples in the article Like one of the professors they were interviewing, she mentions her own journey from having extreme bouts of loneliness and depression. And she had moved to Canada from Brazil and in Brazil felt that there was a real sense of community and family as like a core part of her life. She was surrounded by others that she knew. And when she moved to Canada, she was expected to live alone or she did live alone. And that's how people did things here. And her mental health, got much worse and she goes to the doctor and the doctors are saying you know you have depression there's a chemical imbalance in your brain and the drugs helped her but what actually really ended up helping her was realizing the way in which the society she was living in was causing this problem and like while she obviously can't fix society by herself the way that she managed to really drastically improve her mental health was moving into a housing co-op which brought back that feeling of community that she had had in Brazil with her family in a way that like really helped her. So just when we're treating mental health as a society, one of the major things we need to do is add into the mix in addition to individual day-to-day coping mechanisms an analysis of the person in context in their life, in society and what's going on for them. And on the front of like different kinds of approaches in mental health, I've read some stuff about how in the Netherlands and the UK, they've been experimenting with something called social prescribing, which basically means people go to the doctor and say, you know, I'm having problems, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, and instead of, or sometimes in addition to prescribing medication, the person will be prescribed to show up at what is essentially seems like a community center. I went to the websites for one of these places, these social prescribing centers, and it had things like knitting classes, art therapy, group meals, men's groups, women's groups, LGBT groups, meditation, relaxation techniques, swimming, woodworking shops, just like all these kinds of activities for people. And when someone who was prescribed to go there shows up, There's a person, a facilitator there who says, like, welcome, let me show you around and what we have to offer, and we can start getting you involved in activities with other people. And like some of the early research on this stuff shows levels of effectiveness up to twice as much as antidepressants. So really changing the way that we think about mental health services is like a direct sort of granular way of looking at this, but I think like on a broader design scale. I also just am thinking about things like, like one example is apartment buildings, for the most part, have no social spaces or very limited social spaces. Because the system, the way it's set up now is that landlords need to squeeze as much money out of their property values as they can. Our spaces, our cities, our neighborhoods, our buildings, our homes are not designed with the intention of building community and making people less lonely as the primary intention the primary intention is usually financially related can we get this in under budget make the most money out of it and it just leads to so much stuff like even our workplaces being designed in ways that don't like facilitate social interactions they're like Open design offices often now you don't even sit beside the same people all the time or you can work in different places around cities or like gig economy jobs where it's, it's also transitory and not designed around creating community, like kind of the opposite of these activities at these centers, which are specifically designed to get the same people coming back and getting to know each other while participating in something.
0: Yeah. So I guess just in a broad sense, if we're taking the engineer's paintbrush to society and creating an ideal, perfect, sparkling, utopian blueprint, something we could say in a more general sense that might have a bunch of different specific applications, bringing up the question of how do we create more opportunities for meaningful social interactions by the design of our society, by the design of our institutions, by the design of the infrastructure around us? How do we encourage that instead of dissuade that. And that could be anything on the sphere from a best friend to a neighbor that you actually talk to. I know it's scary to talk to your neighbors. They're always there. Sometimes you're not really in the mood for it. But if you have a little tiny positive interaction with them every time you see them, instead of trying to avoid eye contact and running as fast as you can, you'll be a happier person. And we can provide little friendly nudges in society towards those sort of things. I think part of this does also have to start from just like how we socialize children into society and how they feel about the world there's the real sort of threat for children of like the so-called stranger danger the reason that we don't just talk to strangers but when we're a little kid we just want to go up we want to ask the guy behind the counter what his favorite movie is and stuff like we we want to know what the postman's favorite number that gets taken away from us so how do we restore that in the most positive possible way one
1: specific example i think of in terms of designs of cities and neighborhoods that I think would make a really huge difference in the amount of sort of feeling like it's a communal space you can all share is finally ending cars forever. Because so much of our cities and towns and neighborhoods are designed around needing these gigantic lanes for these enormous vehicles that spew disgusting climate-changing gas into the air. And it just like Like think about how different your neighborhood is or would be if you've ever had an opportunity to see the streets blocked off and like people in the streets having like say a barbecue or something uh, where there's like car free days or festivals in the streets. Um, Obviously not every day is going to be like a street festival or whatever, but there's so much space there that could be available for community gatherings and designing things in completely different ways that would provide these kind of nudges and things if we didn't need to have cars anymore, if we had established working public transit around entire cities that was accessible to everyone. We could free up so much space. Because, like, another thing that like makes people depressed in modern society a lot of the times, or like contributes to it, is that we live in these concrete jungles of like all these right angles. And, like, studies show when people go out and spend more time in nature, they feel better. Like, we feel good being around plants. It's actually good for us, <laughs> plants and other like small wildlife. So, if we could have green streets, green cities, not only does that like sink some carbon and do good, and like you're not having gasoline being put out into the air, and you can completely redesign what cities look like if they no longer have to be based around these roads, it also will just make them much more beautiful and will make them more enjoyable places to exist in with your friends, which is ultimately what we want our cities to
0: be, right? Like enjoyable places
1: to exist with our friends.
0: Another institutional thing that comes to mind as a way to help address the loneliness crisis. Is in our society, if you want to make someone do pretty much anything, we actually have already solved the problem of making them do it. It's money. If you pay people to do stuff, they'll almost always do it. And I'm not saying like, don't make like, you know, disability benefits or like welfare contingent on socializing or something like that. But on top of whatever existing benefits that exist, if say that you had like a social worker that you're meeting with who helps you navigate these systems, or a sort of like reference librarian for society who can connect you to what you need. And then they say to you, what do you like, yoga, improv or drawing comics? And you're like, uh, I guess comics. And you're like, OK, well, we'll give you $50 an hour. To go once a week for two hours and draw comics with a bunch of other people that were paying to go draw comics, then let's be realistic. A lot of people would be like, "Yeah, I'll go draw those comics. I'll go meet some people or whatever." You know. Yeah,
1: th- yeah, that's an interesting,
0: great idea.
1: Like, and even like if fifty dollars an hour is like unaffordable in some particular situation the idea even being like okay anyone who shows up to seven out of ten knitting classes gets like a two hundred dollar honorarium or like things like that just Mm -hmm. incentive to get you a bit over that hump that's yeah that's that's fascinating i really like that idea
0: crazy thing about it is that it would 100 percent work and anyone who says that it wouldn't work is just literally out of touch with basic lived reality of the majority of people if your concern is the cost, then, like, okay, fair enough, what cost it out? What does it cost to tackle loneliness? But I think it's gonna be pretty affordable overall. And the social benefit is gonna be immeasurably large, like an infinite amount of dollars.
1: I love having these like weird but sort of pragmatic, but really weird like policy suggestion and it's like I love that. Like paying people to socialize is the cure for loneliness. It's, it's brilliant. It's like <laughs> and then, of course, like ultimately, we want to end up in a society where every institution is kind of like the library and these community centers. There's just a lot of activities everywhere for people to participate in. And there's facilitators there. There's people who help you get out and do what you want to do with your life. We talk a lot on this show about like how society should meet people's needs, and the need for human connection is like actually a pretty big one. And I think in general, in society, if we provide people with accessible strategies for meeting their needs, they will do it on their own. Like, hungry people will eat food if you put it in front of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we offer the resources for people to do these things, keeping in mind, like what it's actually like to be lonely and depressed and anxious. And that sometimes there is that huge hump to get over. So that's an accessibility concern that needs to be taken into account, but it can be. So just like at the core of it is like, we all need human connection and society needs to provide strategies for doing that. And it can.
0: So yeah, I think if we want a loneliness free world, what we should Strive to do as soon as possible is confederate into municipalists city-states, which pay people according to need and confederate into a global commonwealth where people have legitimate democratic say over their lives, but also their irreducible minimum is met, that is, they get the medicine, housing, food, water, etc., that they need without question, and that's just taken as the basic thing by everyone, it's the common sense of society, the idea that we would invent some sort of institution that would deny someone housing is what should sound out of bounds and wild instead of the reverse, the idea that we might casually say, Hey, you can house everyone. And the average person's like, Whoa, that's not how it works. Well, I dream of a society where someone might one day suggest, hey, we could change our society to not house everyone. And everyone else would be like, you're a monster. And
1: it makes no sense. <laughs> so they would just be like, oh, how does that, how do we even pick who doesn't get a house? That's bizarre. <laughs> we just like random no, it's lottery. It's just an interesting <laughs> idea. I just,
0: just a thought experiment. What if we <laughs> kept some of these people from getting houses? But I actually think that all of these things, like in this common sense of the irreducible minimum, the common sense of you know this next century that we we're going to build together, If you don't meet those needs you create opportunities for loneliness and isolation to fester and you give opportunities for people's self-worth to be tied up in things that don't actually make any sense that aren't serving them now it's one thing to feel bad about yourself because you did something ethically wrong and you need to change that's a positive function of the human psychology that hopefully fingers crossed at some point during this process, Harvey Weinstein was like, oh, it's wrong to do what I did. You know, that's good. But there's no reason that normal, regular, kind people should be sitting in their house, beating themselves up like they're Harvey Weinstein over the fact that they can't do the things they want to do because society's let them down. Yeah. So we can design society to prevent that. We don't want to feed these negative impulses within ourselves where we talked about ourselves worse than we'd talk about anyone else. And I think actually the way to get there is through meeting people's needs, because you create a cascading effect. People are struggling to make sure their cup is full. As more people's needs are met, it means that more people have more overflowing from their cup so they can share, and you get a real sort of trickle down. When you provide for people's basic needs, you get a trickle down of time and energy to the people who need it until everyone's taken care of.
1: Yeah, it's the real trickle down economics. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Trickle down pre-economic social proto-economics.
1: Trickle down to everyone and then the people who need it more, who are near people who needed it slightly less, but everyone got it. It'll fill in all the crevices.
0: Let's be honest, folks. We all know that the social proto-economics underneath the surface of social relations is the real economics. This stuff that those fucking guys make books about, we know it's a scam about protecting the wealth of the rich, right? The proto-social economics under the surface, where by pooling resources, we can get more. We can generate things by sharing. Like, that's the real economics. That's what anything true about economics is just picking up on these strands of this proto-social economics and then hyper-financializing it and putting it into the space where it can be used to justify disparities within wealth. I mean, we, all, we got that by now, right? It's 2020.
1: I think so. It's common sense now.
0: So this has been the Seriously Wrong Podcast. Hopefully it has helped you feel a little bit less alone in this scary universe. Yeah. It honestly makes me feel a little bit less alone to read about this stuff and think about it. And even just like, it's sort of trite, but like the idea that a lot of people have these sort of similar problems actually was a relief to me. It's sort of stupid, but being like, I recognize that experience. Yeah, I've got reason to think that there's not something (laughs) wrong with me. Just reason to think like, oh, I'm just failing or something. Yeah, Uh, we're
1: talking about all the motivated reasoning before, and it like this can throw just a little bit of a wrench into all that. Like, oh yeah, I am really terrible, and here's why all the reasons I can justify to it. Just a little bit of like logic of being like, oh yeah, but do I think like everyone else who's lonely is also this? No, no, no. That'd be an awful thing to say. (laughs) Yeah, would I say that about them? (laughs)
0: Anytime you get that feeling of like, oh, what's wrong with me? You should follow up with, oh, and what's wrong with all those millions of others? What's wrong with
1: all of us? Just a whole lot of individual failure going on in <laughs> society right
0: now.
1: Oh <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I do hope it was helpful for you. It was really interesting to like get into a topic like this. It's yeah. I hope people like it.
0: Thanks for your time and attention this week. You can visit us, our website, seriouslywrong.com or leave us reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, etc. We've also got a Patreon. where you can get bonus episodes, including a few bonus episodes that came out this month, Fireside Chats, where we talked about mostly American electoral politics, but as a springboard to talking about broader subjects. Yeah, we also do like live streams on there. You get episodes a day early. Basically, if you're helping finance the show, we want to try to share as much of the stuff we're working on with you as possible, and yeah. ahead of other people. So,
1: We're really trying to provide value to the people who are helping us out on Patreon.
0: Because without them, we, we couldn't do the show. And yeah. Thank you so much, all of you,
1: for listening, and have a wonderful rest of your day, week, month, life, cycle of lives into the infinite future. Whatever's ahead of you, have a wonderful one. And I'll uh, stop the tape right there. Thanks thanks for letting me play that on the call, guys. Oh, what a call. What a great, great call. And you know what? I'm got i got feeling pretty funny after listening to that tape. That was an
0: incredible tape for the lonely people of the land, and hopefully they got a little bit of loneliness relief. I know that I did. I feel much less lonely now. Almost like I heard the chimes.
1: I gotta say, I feel pretty not lonely. Let's go to the calls and see how the callers are feeling. We got uh, Cynthia.
0: Hey, lonely boys. I just want to thank you for playing that tape. I feel totally relieved. I don't feel lonely at all so
1: really you're saying you're completely cured i didn't even play you the chimes
0: yeah when i heard someone say oh you're feeling lonely just go make more friends everything clicked into place and now i'm just gonna go make more friends it's easy
1: you're cured from the tape
0: the tape cured me
1: cured oh my god test case wow
0: patient zero that is amazing. That's incredible stuff. Hey, we've got a caller coming in, and he is from Southeast Wrongtown. wrong town. His name is The Business. The Business, welcome.
1: The Business, thanks you all for uh, having The Business on the program today. So,
0: The Business, how'd you feel about the hour and a half tape that our caller played?
1: Well, The Business has been lonely for his entire life, let me tell you. But after listening to that tape, 100% cured. I had never once thought of meeting people who have interests similar to mine. I would have never. <laughs> wow. Mind blown. Totally cured. Thanks to that tape.
0: Thank you so much for being cured. And thank you for calling into the show, the business. You know, I'm a big fan and I'll see you later. Oh, it's nice.
1: Seeing him call in it makes me feel more connected i guess is it's weird this feeling that's the opposite of loneliness it's like i just got more of it
0: i've never felt it before but it is incredible i'm just getting a word from our producer in my ear that the boards are completely lighting up with hundreds of thousands of people who are saying they've received chime-like effects which have magically cured all feelings of loneliness permanently, having had listened to that tape.
1: And some people thought it wouldn't be worth an hour and a half to play that tape on air.
0: I'm doing this thing where, whenever someone suggests something to me, I just go for it. I say yes. I'm just saying yes to life right now, so I said yes, play the tape, Absolutely. And I
1: am saying yes to a word from our sponsors. Oh man, this on-air tape is a game changer. All these people cured? It's amazing.
0: You know, I think we should probably let the boss and know. The, yeah, head down defending. to the cavern. Mm-hmm. Are these the ads gonna make sense? The, the people who are, the boss are, they? are they? Yeah,
1: that's, that's weird. That's I was cool. thinking, oh, it's great we you cured loneliness, but this whole bigger. station exists to cater to something you you that's not that. there anymore. It was cured. Let's go talk to the boss. I'm really glad for you coming down here. With I
0: always find it spooky. Yeah, the spiral staircase and these stone walls. Yeah not a typical radio station but i mean with a vampire boss you know that makes sense yeah big muscular vampire boss feeds on um what does he feed on again uh, loneliness oh yeah loneliness
1: he feeds on it directly and it also finances the whole operation so yeah, it's in, two layers of it in
0: one sense a literal parasite in another sense he is actually sucking the loneliness directly from us exactly
1: uh, Oh, capitalist, muscular, vampire boss, we have a problem. You know how you always tell us to say yes to life? Well, uh... We played this tape that turned out to be actually like chimes, but it works for everyone, not just the people
0: who call. Oh my God, he's a shriveled, tiny husk of a pile. Is he... Oh my god, he's... Oh my god, that's so disgusting. These what are f- his death gasps. <laughs> What must have happened is that when everyone became not lonely anymore at once because of the power of that podcast we listened to, his enormous muscles which fed on loneliness collapsed to tiny muscles which broke and damaged his bones, turning into a little pile of
1: writhing goo. Since I don't know why it turns to goo, I guess it makes sense, vampire, what would be left over would be some kind of goo.
0: So wait a minute, without the boss... Yeah, I mean the radio station's not going to be profitable anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, even if we said we're changing it, it's now not lonely anymore radio, songs about how great it is to have adequate human connection in your life, that could be a radio station, but I just, I don't know. I don't think it would work.
0: I think without a parasitic boss, we're just going to destroy ourselves.
1: Us hosts can't be trusted. One moment, you're slaving away, working for a capitalist muscular vampire's muscles feed directly on negative emotions of the populace. And then at the next moment, it's like, Uh, What? Where do I go? What do I do? I don't feel lonely anymore, but is that enough? Who's gonna collect money from the advertisers and pay us a pittance?
0: I think frankly when bossing needs to be done, you need to find a boss and I think if our boss is shriveled into a goo Maybe we can like bring in a new sort of vampiric. Oh, yeah Can sort of like find another emotion or something like hunger or Horniness, some sort of demon like that, that we can give ownership, stake. I met a demon
1: once who fed on making people feel confused.
0: Oh, more confused than someone else? Yeah, just like confusion.
1: Muscles. Yeah, in society, the muscles get bigger. Then also some that have fed on rage. Disgust is another one.
0: Put it there. Let's shake a hand on it. We're going to agree that we need a boss. We need a box. And up and, and down. I do it. It's a typical handshake. seriously wrong. So you're interviewing for the role of parasitic boss. Thanks for coming in. We loved your resume. I'm just wondering what specific vampiric powers will you be bringing to the role? What abstract emotions do you feed on that make your muscles grow?
1: Oh actually my muscles mostly just grow from consuming protein and then like working them to exhaustion to failure on a regular basis. I thought we fed on the negative emotions through the profits we rake in. Isn't that what
0: the business uh, model so is? Wait, you're not a vampire? You're uh, a... Mm. Because, look, if you're a vampire, what we're talking about is a role where we're going to be handing the reins over to you. We're going to be handing all the property ownership over to you. Like that. All the control over to you. Yeah, great. Uh, giving you a private office down mm-hmm. in the dungeon.
1: Dungeon? But I get most of the profits, right? You
0: get most of the profits. You pay off yeah, the can some the dungeon. That's what pittance we're looking for, for you, in yeah. this role. Yeah, someone no, someone all who that sounds
1: take... really great. I think I am your Is that the guy. job for you? It is the job for me. And if you need me to be a vampire, I think I will become a vampire by the nature of existing within this role that I'm interviewing for. I think it will turn me into that, what you want.
0: Huh. So you, you, you think by taking on this role of boss, you're going to become a vampire?
1: Yeah, I think no matter what a good person I am, that performing this role would turn me into that absolutely i I like this guy you like him i like him too
0: i think let's hire him i say hand him ownership stake give him the majority of the profits pay us a pittance give him his own dungeon it's necessary for the business to function yeah you need to do that otherwise yeah just not gonna make sense without that and so the lonely boys hired that parasite And Not Lonely, Not Lonely, Not Lonely Radio on 101.1 found all sorts of ways to sell ads to people who aren't lonely. Turns out it's not just lonely people who will buy things based on ads. They can commodify and market anything. And they did. For many, many years. Until uh, there was another similar incident, but in a different way, which rendered Not Lonely Radio obsolete. The end.